Let me invite you to find your way in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. We're going to be finishing Mark 3 this morning. And I'm not sure next week we might do something a little different. We're taking in new members next week, next Sunday. Also going to have communion Sunday morning, and we're going to have a lunch following the service. Um, so I might do something a little different. might take a break from Mark and maybe talk about some, something more related to those themes. Um, and actually, this morning's message kind of leads right into that. Um, but for this morning, we're going to finish up Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Let me begin simply by reading the text. And his mother and his brothers, and his is Jesus, his, Jesus' mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother or my brother and sister and mother. Let's go to God in prayer one one more time, asking for his help as we come to his word. Father, we come before you asking that you, through your spirit, would come and minister to us this morning as we have come to your word. May we see the areas in our lives that need to be strengthened, that need to be challenged, areas in our lives that need to receive the comfort of your presence. Father, you do these things so often in our lives through your word. So we're asking this morning things for the glory. Well, as we're coming now to the end of Mark 3, my mind as I read this, I went back to the very beginning of Mark chapter 1 and to the very first words that we heard or read recorded by Mark that were coming from the lips of Jesus. The very first thing that Jesus says in Mark is in verse 15. And it was a proclamation, it was a a declaration where he said, the time is fulfilled, time is completed, the time is ready, it's here. And then he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. These are the very first words that we have from the lips of Jesus in in Mark. But the question is, what does this kingdom look like? As we've been going through this book already, we've seen many ways in which that this kingdom is different than what we might imagine, what we might expect a kingdom to look like and to be. First of all, we, we've noticed how the king himself is very different. Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and Jesus, at least in his earthly nature, he's, he's not from a royal family. He, he doesn't come from a royal place either. He's a common carpenter born in a, to a poor family in Nazareth. The king is very different. We've also seen that those who he chose as his royal cabinet, his, his government officials are, are very different. His disciples, they too are, are common people. And if they're not common people, if they're not poor people and, and just common ordinary Jews, they're hated people. They're tax collectors. It's a very different type of cabinet he puts together. We've also seen that the ones that this king comes to and the one that this king comes and he makes his campaign speeches, as it were, to are, are very different than we might expect. He doesn't go to the influential of society, but he goes to the outcasts. The kingdom of God is an unexpected kingdom led by an unexpected king made up of unexpected subjects. But this morning, as we come to our verses in Mark chapter 3, we find another way in which the unexpectedness of the kingdom is revealed. And, and that is that Jesus says that 
and describes this kingdom in terms of a family. A family. The kingdom of God is defined not with borders, not with, with provinces, not with anything we might associate with a king, but it's described in terms of relationships, in terms of a brother, sister, and a mother. It's described in terms of family. Now I'm aware for some of you as you, you hear that word this morning, the word family, it brings different reactions. For, for some of you, you, you hear the word family and comes to, and what comes to your mind are warm thoughts and happy memories. Family describes one of the best parts of your life. Brings memories of dinner table laughter, uh, of trips and vacations. It brings to mind thoughts of, of love. It brings to mind thoughts of a place to belong and, and to feel accepted. For others of you, however, family is a word that perhaps makes you squirm in your seat a little bit. It brings to mind hard memories, disappointment, maybe even bitterness. It might reveal wounds, whether emotional wounds or for some perhaps even physical wounds that are associated with family. And to hear Jesus describe the kingdom of God in the terms of family does not fill you with excitement, but perhaps fills you with, with dread. Because all you associate with the word family is negative. Whichever of those two camps you might find yourself in this morning, I believe that Jesus addresses you with these words. Jesus addresses those who are comfortable with the idea of family and those who aren't. He addresses those who have had a good experience with family and those whose experience is not so good. Jesus' words speak to both. But he speaks to each one differently. To those who are comfortable, I believe that Jesus' words at the end of chapter 3 of Mark is a word of challenge. Jesus challenges us. He challenges us and calls us to rethink the idea of family, but also to realize that family can perhaps even be an obstacle to us in the kingdom of God. To those who are comfortable with the idea of family, Jesus brings a challenge. But to those who the idea of family is filled with challenges, Jesus brings comfort. Jesus brings comfort to the challenged and challenges the comfortable. And if you've walked in the Christian faith for a long time, if you've spent a lot of time in God's Word, you, you know that that is often what Jesus does and what His words do to us. His words challenge us when we feel comfortable. But in other times, he comforts us in the midst of our challenges and our difficulties. And in verse, these five verses, we see both of these things. But let's begin first with the challenge. I always like to hear the bad news. I don't know if somebody gives you the option, you want to hear the good news first or the bad news. I like to hear the bad news first. Well, this is not bad news. All of this is good news, but, but some of this might be hard news. So let's start with the hard news and then we'll get to the words of comfort. So the first thing we see in these words of Jesus is a challenge. Jesus' words challenge his comfortable family. And this challenge is given as the as it's as it's revealed there, this challenge is given to his family, to his mother and to his brothers. You remember at the or in verse twenty one, one of the verses we looked at last week, that Jesus' mother and his brothers, they begin to make the thirty mile trek from Nazareth to Capernaum to where Jesus is staying. And they make this trek, they make this journey, verse 21 tells us, 
Because they plan on gaining control of Jesus. They plan on seizing him and, and bringing him back home to Nazareth because they feel and they fear that Jesus has gone off the deep end. His family heard about what was taking place and what all the commotion was surrounding Jesus. They go out to seize him for they hear, for they were saying he is out of his mind. And now in our verses, after a side step to the Pharisees referring to Jesus as one who is controlled by demons, we return now to Jesus' family and we see that they have now made the trek and they have now arrived in Capernaum. But the house that Jesus is in is still full. It's, it's still packed to capacity. And his family, they, they can't even get inside the house. They can't get inside the house to Jesus. So they send word from the outside to tell Jesus that they're there. You can perhaps picture this scene as, the, as word travels from one person to the, to the next. As the word and the news makes its way from outside of the home to inside of the home and then very to the, to the very center of the home to Jesus. This message travels, tell Jesus his family is here and they want to see him. And when Jesus receives this message and upon hearing this message, Jesus gives a response that that would have utterly shocked those that were there in the room with him. Because Jesus hears this news and he and he responds in this way, as he often does, he responds with a question. And he asks the question, well, who are my brothers, my mother and my brothers. Who are my mother and my brothers? Again, this response would have shocked the crowd. But imagine what it would have been what it would have done to Mary and to the brothers of Jesus. What do you mean? Who are my mother and my brothers? I'm your mother, Mary must have thought. Your mother who, who nursed you, your mother who cared for you, your mother who suffered such scorn and shame because of your birth. Imagine how how crushing it must have been for Mary to hear these words. Who is my mother? Well, if Mary would have been crushed, his his brothers would have been irate. They would have been infuriated. What do you mean, who are your brothers? Have you gotten too important to remember where you came from? I'm surprised that anyone else can fit inside the house with your big head, they might have thought. Who are my brothers? Who are my brothers? Well, let me just get in there and show you, Mr. Big Shot, who your brothers are. But not only would his family have been taken aback by Jesus' words, all of those in the room would have been shocked as well. In the first century Jewish culture, the family bond was tight and it was long-lasting. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on on Mark, gives us a picture of these the relationships within the family, the Jewish family in the first century. He says, as with many non-Western cultures today, it was normal for children to live close to their parents, maybe even in the same house. The family unit would often be a business unit as well, sharing everything in common. What's more, the Jews, what's more for the Jews, the close family bond was part of the God-given fabric of thinking and living. Think of all the Old Testament passages that talk about the importance of the family. The family was the fabric of life to Israel as the people of God. Break this link and you've undermined a major pillar in the way Jews in the first century, and even, he adds, in the 20th century, think and feel about the world and about themselves. A commentator by the name of Renan adds this, with this statement, Jesus is trampling underfoot everything that is human, love and blood and country. Now, Renan might be a little 
extreme there, but you see the, the shocking nature of this statement. What is Jesus saying with these words? What is Jesus saying with these words? Why does he give us such a shocking statement? Even for us reading this word, reading these words, it's a shocking statement for us. So what is Jesus saying? Why does he give these words in response to the question or the response to his, the presence of his mother and his brothers? Well, first of all, let's say a few things that he's, he's not saying. Uh, one of the things he's not saying is that he's not saying that he's not truly human. Some people look at this passage and they say, well, this proves that Jesus was not really a, a physical, uh, was not really fully human. He wasn't really physically related to Mary and to the sons of Mary and Joseph, that he only uh, appeared to have a body, only uh, appeared to have these physical relatives. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying in these words. Jesus is not denying that Mary is his mother and he's not denying that these men are his half brothers. But neither is Jesus disconnecting himself from the family. If this was all we had, we, we might think that Jesus is disassociating himself with his family. But if we think about and look at the rest of Jesus' life, we know that that is, is not the case. Just think about one of the last series that we went through, the, the seven words of the cross. At the end of Jesus' life, as he is fighting for every breath and every statement that he makes from the cross, it increases or, or speeds up his death and increases his pain. One of the seven statements from the cross is to John, take care of my mother. Jesus is not disassociating himself with his family, and if you go back to the beginning of Jesus' life, that scene in the temple when the when the when they come and find Jesus, it says that after that Jesus submitted himself again to his mother, or submitted himself to his mother and father. So we have these bookends at Jesus' life. He's not disassociating himself with his family. And we can go on after Jesus ascends back into heaven in the book of Acts. We see Mary as one of the ones that is gathered in the upper room at Pentecost. She's still associated with Jesus. She's still close to Jesus and to his followers. James, one of these brothers of Jesus who is outside of the house, becomes one of the first leaders of the church. So we have all this other information that tell us that Jesus is not simply pushing his family away and casting them off. And he's not telling us to do that either. We might look at this and and, and maybe some have looked at this and said, well, I just need to get rid of my family and be done with my family. But again, think about some other things that Jesus said, think about his harsh words to the Pharisees who were using their observance of the law as an excuse not to care for his, for their, for their family. And Jesus says, that's not the way to do things. You're violating the law. You're violating the commandment of honoring father and mother. So, so if that's not what Jesus is saying, what is Jesus saying with these words? What I think Jesus is doing with these words is he is issuing a challenge to his mother and his brothers. And his challenge to them is this, blood relations is not enough. Being a part of my physical family is is not enough, but you must, even you must be a part of this new family that I am establishing. A part of the family that is comprised of men and women who follow him. Think for a second about who Mark is writing his gospel to. Most speculate that the Gospel of Mark was, was written in the mid-50s and 60s A.D. If you remember, Mark was alive at the time of Jesus. Mark was the, the, the secretary of Peter. So they were alive when this was written and they were alive with Jesus. So it could not have been written too long after the death of Jesus. 
So about 30 years after Jesus died, 30 years after the crucifixion, this letter is written, and it's written to early Christians. And some of the, and one of the leaders of the early church was, again, one of these brothers, one of these men standing outside of the house calling to Jesus, his brother James. Imagine reading this story and, and knowing who James was, the brother of Jesus, and now he's the early leader of the church. You read this story and you're reminded that, that, that Mark, or that James is not in this position because of his physical relationship to Jesus. That, that leadership of the church was not passed down to James through bloodlines. That he did not inherit the position from his big brother when he died. But it wasn't his physical relation to Jesus that enabled him to lead the church, but his spiritual relationship to Jesus. And in fact, in the book of James, which was written by this half-brother, James refers to Jesus not as his brother, but he refers to his relationship to Jesus as one of a, of a servant. And that word is, can be translated bondservant, it can be translated slave. He does not begin his book by saying, remember, I am the brother of Jesus, therefore listen to me. He says, I am writing to you as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does go on to use the word brother, but he uses it in association with the church, with those who are suffering, with, with fellow Christians. He says, I'm a, I'm a slave to Jesus, but I am fellow brother. I'm part of your family. I am brother and sister. Or I'm brother to you. You are my brothers and sisters. His relationship to Jesus was not merely a physical one, but it was a spiritual one. Mary was not part of the early church because she was simply the mother of Jesus, but because she became the spiritual sister of Jesus. She believed that Jesus was not simply her son, but that he was the son of God and that he was not just her son, but that he was her savior. This is the challenge that is given to his family, that their relationship to him as physical son and physical brother was not enough. They needed to be a part of the spiritual family of God that Jesus was now establishing. And and as we say so often, if that's true for Jesus and that's true for Jesus's own family, how much more so for us? For those of us who are privileged to grow up in a Christian home or grow up in a Christian environment, we need to hear this challenge of Jesus. That just as Mary and her sons, that just as for Mary and her sons, if it's only, if that's our only relationship to Jesus, one, one of a, a physical relationship to those who are associated with Jesus, then we too are standing outside of the house. Don't miss that picture. Mary and the brothers are standing outside of the house and they cannot go inside. In, in, Mark cha- or in chapter 4, Jesus uses that language of inside and outside. And at this point, they are standing outside of the house. And we too, if it's merely a physical relationship, Sinclair Ferguson had said, if, if we're part of the church merely by accident, merely because we were born into a family that attends church, then we too are outside of the house. We too are not a part of the family of God just because our parents were, just because our, our grandparents were, just because we come from a leading family within the church. That's not enough. We must ourselves become sons and daughters of God. This is the challenge that Jesus issues to not only Mary and his brothers, but he issues to us as well. But let me add another challenge that is found in this opening statement of Jesus. In this challenge, we, we hear also the, the solution to the breakdown of the family that is so prevalent 
in our culture and in our world today. If we were to list one of the major reasons why our world is the way it is, we would probably, one of the things we point to is the breakdown in our homes, the breakdown in our, in our families. The, the brokenness in the world is a result of the broken state of our, of our homes. Now, our response to that brokenness might be that we need to do whatever we can to exalt the family. That we need to do whatever we can to keep our family intact and healthy. That we need to make everything revolve around what is the best interest for our family. But, but Jesus shows us a better way. Jesus shows us that the way to preserve and to elevate our family in the midst of a broken world is not to exalt our family, but in our families to exalt Jesus. The key to keeping our families together is that in our families, love for Jesus and obedience to Jesus is, a pla- is placed above everything else. This keeps our families together not merely for a short period of time while our kids are in our homes. This keeps our families together not merely for a brief time while we, while our lives coexist here on earth. But this keeps our families together for eternity. Jesus tells his mothers and brothers that the only way that they can have a true and lasting relationship with him is if they look to him not as brother and son, but as Lord and Savior. We must exalt Jesus in our families. We must not sacrifice relationship with Jesus in order to have relationship with our families because in doing that, we are in danger of losing both. We lose the relationship with our family, if not in this life, but most certainly in eternity. But by not exalting Christ in our families, we teach them that they are, that, that they are the most important things in this world, not Jesus. We teach them there are more important things in the world than Jesus, that Jesus takes a back seat to other things. And the effect is that they lose interest in Jesus. Parents, prioritize relationship with Jesus to your kids. Husbands and wives, prioritize relationship with Jesus even over your relationship with each other. Because when you do that, you will find an even stronger relationship with them. St. Augustine was one of the early leaders of the church And before he became a Christian, before he became to faith, he spent many years wandering away from Christ. His mother, Monica, though, never ceased to pray for him. And finally, after coming to faith, Augustine recounts a moment in his book, The Confessions, where him and his wife, or him and his mother are standing, looking out a window, and they both have this sense, Augustine writes, that they are more truly kindred than ever before. They're more truly related, more truly family than they ever were before. Now, that sounds strange to us because because Monica was the one who birthed Augustine. Monica was the one who raised Augustine. But yet she says, I am closer to you now than I have ever been before. And and many of you have had that same experience. There is a, a deeper level of relationship that you share with your family when both of you share a relationship with that's the challenge of Jesus. But even in those even in that statement, I recognize that there is that there is a heartache. There is heartache that comes with those words for some of you, because some of you long to share that relationship with your family members. But because they don't share your faith in Jesus, you don't experience that. So we go from the challenge. We go from the the hard news to the comforting news. And Jesus brings a a word of comfort to those who fam whose families bring challenges. Jesus brings a word of comfort to those whose families bring challenges. 
Mark tells us that after asking this somewhat rhetorical question, or I doubt anybody was going to dare to answer the question, who are my brother, my, my mother and my brothers? Jesus himself answers the question by saying, looking around and saying, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is, or she is, should be added to, my brother, sister, and mother. Now Matthew's account of this story says that he looks to his disciples who were probably seated right around him and he waves his hand to them and it's to the disciples that he makes this statement. And certainly it does apply to them. But Jesus also extends this invitation to everyone in the house. He is, he is letting them know that there is room for all of them in God's family. But access to that family comes through the door of relationship with Jesus. It comes from following Jesus and doing the will of God just as he is doing. Now we might read this again if we only have one verse. We might read this and think that, well, to become a... A part of God's family means that it's something that we earn. It's something that we do. It's based off of us doing the will of God. But we know from the rest of the Bible what this means is that family identity is revealed in the fact that we do the will of God. It's not something we earn. Doing the will of God does not earn us a place in the family, but it's because we have been made sons and daughters of God that it is revealed through our obedience to God. And we should question, we should examine our own lives and say, is there evidence in my life that I am a child of God? Am I doing the will of God? Am I obeying God? Or am I, am I simply claiming some identity that is not really and truly mine? It's never lived out. It's never revealed in my life. But this word is a word of comfort for many of those gathered in that, that room. Just think again about the disciples who are in that room with Jesus and hearing him say these words. Think of James and John. Now, back in Mark chapter 1, we, we saw the call of James and John. And Jesus called them to come and follow him. But in following him, it meant leaving behind his father, Father Zebedee. And it meant leaving behind the family business. And remember that quote from N.T. Wright. No doubt this would have brought strain within the family. No doubt the, the, the father of James and John would have felt betrayed. I've built all of this and now you're just going to leave it behind. You're not going to carry on the family business. You're just going to walk around following this rabbi that we've never heard about. What are you doing? Peter and Andrew, too, had to leave behind the family fishing business to follow Jesus. Levi was a tax collector. Again, thinking about those who are gathered in this room, hearing these words of Jesus. Levi was a, a tax collector when Jesus came to him and called him. And most likely because of that occupation, he had lost complete contact with his family because they wanted nothing to do with this traitor of a son named Levi. How comforting these words must have been to them. Jesus, first of all, in this statement, he says, I know the pain you're experiencing at the loss of earthly family relationships. But then he says, you are now a part of a family that is even deeper, has even deeper connections than simply physical family relationships. But Jesus is also saying to them that this path that I am asking you to walk is not one that you are walking alone. Not only are they walking with one another, he says, you are brothers and sisters but he says, you are brothers and sisters of me. And he says, I am walking this same path. Think of some of the other statements of Jesus to his disciples about their family relationships. In Luke 
And these verses are ones, again, that, that shock us as we really think about it. Luke, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Imagine what was going through people's heads as they heard Jesus say in Mark 3 these words. What is he doing hating his mother and his brothers? Jesus says, this is the risk of following after me, but this is a risk, this is a path that I myself am walking. You're not walking this alone. Luke 9, 59 through 62, to another disciple, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. It's no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And we, we read those words and we say, Jesus, how could you command these things? How could you say these things? And then we see this scene in the life of Jesus and, he, and we realize that he's not simply commanding it, but that he is walking this path. Jesus knows the temptation to be distracted and to be pulled back from obedience to God by family. He knows the pain of, of, of feeling like he's letting down his family as he's walking forward in obedience to the will of God. He, he knows what that's like. Once again, we're reminded of the great truth of Hebrews 4, that we don't have a high priest who is unwilling to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's unwilling to sympathize with our experiences, but he is able to meet us in those difficult places because he himself has walked in those difficult places. Think, too, again, of who Mark is writing to. I mentioned the time period that Mark is writing to, but the the ones that he is writing to are, are persecuted Christians, many who had lost family members because of their faith in Jesus. Mark writes to them, and he says, you have a brother in Jesus who comes alongside of you. Grant says, in place of broken relations, in place of broken family relations, in place of ostracism, in place of persecution, was the close and intimate relation to the Son of God. They'd experienced ostracism from their families. They, they'd, they've experienced persecution. They've experienced broken family relationships. And, and Mark gives them this picture of Jesus. He shows them the close and intimate relation to the Son of God who has walked this same path and is walking it alongside of them. You think of the many in the in persecuted countries where, where Christians are persecuted every day for their faith and, and martyred for their faith. You think of many in, in the Muslim world who have had their lives threatened by family members when they come to faith in Jesus. In our own contemporary culture, you think of many who have been laughed and scoffed at for the ridiculous faith that they have in Jesus. And, and, and they're, they're mocked for it by family and friends. And, and Jesus looks around the room and says, I'm right here with you. I'm in this with you. But notice that Jesus doesn't only say that, that he is with them, but he says that they are with each other. That while they may be losing their physical family relationships, there is even there is a new and even greater family that he is forming. And again, this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be a part of the church. First of all, it means that we are sons and daughters of God. But if that is true, then it also means that we are brothers and sisters of one another. As I often say, you cannot call God Father without calling fellow Christians brothers 
and sisters, as much as you might like to at times. It's impossible. Uh, To call God our Heavenly Father, we must call fellow Christians brother and sister. I have to remind my kids often, if they get to call me daddy, they have to call each other brother and sister. It's just the way it's going to be. And, And that's the way it is in the in the church that's the way it is in the kingdom of god to call god our heavenly father must mean that not only are we in relationship with him but we are in this deep relationship with one another a relationship that does not simply take place in some mystical realm this this relationship we have with much, with one another is not just some idea and some abstract thought but jesus shows us the the reality of this relationship when he says that it even supersedes Family relationships. The church is to be a family. We see that throughout the book of Acts. As as the church is birthed on the day of Pentecost and as the church begins to take shape, the shape it takes and what it looks like is, is not an organization, but it looks and takes the shape of a family. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many, many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And notice this part, the, the familial language that is used. And all who were believed, all who believed were together. They had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they were attending the temple together, but, but more than that, they were coming home and they were having dinner together over the kitchen table in one another's homes. It looks like family. It looks like relationships. Jumping forward in Acts chapter, to, to Acts chapter 4. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Now, that's not quite what it looks like in our family. I'm thinking of that statement and thinking how often... That's my toy, but the ideal is this. No one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Jumping down, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And I include that last part just to take notice that they were not a family. They did not have these relationships because they were a monolithic group of people. But they were a group of people that were of different nationalities, different ethnicities. Remember at Pentecost, they came from all over. And when the Holy Spirit fell, many of them just stayed there. So the beginning of the church is one that is made up of people from many places, speaking many different languages, looking very different. They came from many different social classes. There's rich people who can sell things to get money. And there's poor people who need somebody to sell something so they can just put bread on the table. They didn't all have the same understandings on all issues. They probably weren't all in the same political party. But all of those things that should have been and could have been causes for division were superseded by something greater. And that was their unity in Christ. Their unity in Christ. They were part of the same family. Later in giving instructions on how the church should function, Paul describes it in terms and language of family. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. A younger man as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. 
in all purity. And Paul himself experienced this family. We don't know much about the, the, the background of Paul, but we can imagine as someone who was raised a devout Jew, raised as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, when he, he left that behind, no doubt he, he left behind his family. And Paul says, I have found a new family. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. And all of these were fulfillment of what Jesus said to Peter and Mark. Peter says, I have left everything behind to follow you. And, and Jesus, you almost get the sense Jesus interrupted him and says, don't, don't start on that, Peter. Let me show you what you have found. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal. We see that fulfilled in the book of Acts. Jesus does not minimize the difficulty of what he is asking Peter to do in following after him. But he tells them that in obedience there will be comfort. That in obedience there will be joy. And that in even in the loss there will be an f- overflow of fullness in those same Areas that experience the greatest loss. And Jesus fulfills that promise through the church. As I think about this church, and those of you who are gathered here, as I thought about that this week and thought about these verses, I think of how many of you have experienced loss or separation when it comes to your family. For some, that separation is due to death. Loved ones have passed away. Uh, for many of you, the separation is, is one of distance. You don't see your family as much as you'd like to. For some, the separation is because of unbelief in your family. Uh, they don't share the same faith in Jesus that you do, so there is a distance that is there. I pray that in some ways you have found, or in many ways, you have found the church to be a comfort. I pray that you have found the relationships that you share with one another to be a, a true and a deep and a real joy. That is one of the reasons that, that living hope exists, because that is one of the reasons that every church exists. But let me add to that, that the only way that is possible is that if we lift up not the church, nor the relationships within the church, but if we as a church together lift up Jesus. We live in a fractured world. We, we live in a, a lonely world. We live in a world that is desperate for real relationships. Studies show that in all this connection through social media, it has left us even lonelier and me, even emptier. We are longing for real connections, for real relationships. In this verses, we see that the church is the answer to that need. But we also see that we will have nothing to offer the world if all we offer is a nice church where they feel welcome and accepted. We will have nothing to offer the world if all we offer is fellowship. The only way we have something to offer is if we offer them the source of living hope. And that is Jesus. And through Jesus, they find relationship not only with him, but with his body, the church. That is the solution for this world. That is the solution for the divisions in our society. And that solution is that we must exalt in our church, in our homes, and in our families.